0: Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get right into it this morning. I trust a lot of you will be fasting with us this week as we continue to ask the Lord for so many different things. Today we're going to be talking about silence and solitude, introducing these disciplines of ancient Christianity that have sustained the church for thousands of years. Let's pray. Father, again I ask for a uh, holy calm to come over and rise up within your people. Lord, as we engage in the spiritual disciplines, the practices of your people that have sustained and drawn us close to you for millennia now, I pray that Taproot Church would be a people of discipline, uh, a people of responsive action to the work that you have done in us. And I pray that these practices, as we discuss them, fasting, study of the word, meditation, silence and solitude, celebration and feasting, community, that the many disciplines that you've called us to, to exercise in growth and exercise in knowing you would become a mainstay in this church and that your people would be disciples of you, Disciples who know you. Disciples in love with you. Disciples loved by you. And so bless now this time together, this training in the practice and the discipline of silence and solitude. May it be an awakening and a quickening in our church that leads us as a non-anxious presence in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. So... We're fasting through February, and it's my opinion, ever so humble, that the Western church in general has lost the practices of discipline. For millennia, the church has practiced particular actions, particular things that would draw them close to Jesus, that would keep them close to Jesus, that would enable them to hear from Jesus more clearly. And in the Western church... We have lost the practices that put us close to Jesus, that make us hear from Jesus. Now, I would say that we certainly are disciplined about certain things. And here's the reality, guys. We will exercise discipline to gain what we believe is going to bring us the most good. Okay? So we will be disciplined to get up and go to our jobs and be on time and do a good job because we believe that that will give us gain a paycheck and not being fired. And so we exercise the disciplines of being on time and being in our place and doing our job responsibly. Um, we will exercise great discipline. We will plan and prepare We will put the wings in early in the oven when it's Seahawks Sunday to make sure when we get home, we have our wings ready and we have our football game prepared because it's important to us. So too with the disciplines of Christianity. When we come to believe the gospel, we come to understand that our greatest good is knowing God and being known by God. It's loving God and being loved by God. And so we will practice the disciplines. We will engage in the exercises that enable us to hear from Him, come closer to Him. So, as we're fasting through this season, I wanted to introduce to you today the discipline of silence and solitude. This is one that is greatly lost upon most of us in this room. And my intention is through 2016 to salt all of the sermons and all the sermon series with trainings on the various disciplines of Christianity. So we'll talk about the discipline of simplicity at some point. We'll talk about the discipline of community, the discipline of feasting and fasting all through this year. In fact, I have one discipline that I'm meditating on through 2016, the discipline of simplicity. My one word that I see all the world through this year is simplify. What does simplicity look like in Dependence on Jesus. Now, we are engaging in, when we talk about silence and solitude, a practice that goes back in history to the first days of Christianity. Dallas Willard writes We should keep in mind that very few disciplines can be regarded as absolutely indispensable. Practicing a range of activities that have proven track records across centuries will keep us from erring. If we, as Christians, want to be strong in our faith, if we want to be fruitful in our lives, if we want to be engaged in the mission that God has called us to, we must first be practicing these disciplines. So as I've already said, this morning is a bit different than what we normally do at this church. We're launching off of verse 20, which was read for us, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We're launching off of that text to talk about and train on this topic of silence and solitude. So let me start here with giving you a basic definition of silence and solitude. This is my own definition. There are many more out there with varied definitions and descriptions of this practice. Silence and solitude is the intentional practice of not speaking. So when Pastor Darren said, if you can't fast this month because of dietary issues, I often encourage people to fast from words. You'll be surprised how much your tongue and lips are moving through the course of the day when you say, I'm going to fast from words today. Silence and solitude is the intentional practice of not speaking and leaving community, leaving people for the sake of listening to and filling up on God. Silence and solitude has a very specific purpose and a very specific practice with a very specific end goal. It is to go and listen to the Lord and fill up on the Lord apart from distraction, apart from false places where we fill up our souls with noise and words and conversations and people. Let's talk this morning, jumping right into things, the places of silence, the places of silence. As we grow in our lives and as we walk with Jesus through the course of our life, every season that we walk into, every point and place in our lives affords us opportunity to practice the disciplines of silence and solitude. Let me give to you three here this morning. Number one, we can practice the discipline of silence and solitude in places of preparation. For example, early in the morning when we rise out of our beds, we're to be prepared by the Lord for his eternal purposes to work through us that day. Those are moments in the early mornings before the little short human beings rise up and bring tyranny into our households. Before the husband, before the wife gives us our to-do list for that day. It's those early morning moments, even if it's only five minutes, laying there in the silence of your bed in the quiet, where you pray quietly in your heart, still in your heart, Father, prepare me for today. You have purposes for me today. We see this in our Lord and Savior. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, would retreat in preparation, prayerful preparation for his purposes under his Father's authority. We're told over and over and over in all of the Gospels that Jesus would retreat to desolate places to pray. I'm utterly persuaded that many of those minutes and hours that Jesus spent in prayer were spent in silence. Just listening to the Spirit. Just honoring God's will in his life for that day as a means of preparation. Number two, we will all come into, I pray all of you come into, seasons of peace. Times and points and places of peace. Maybe it's a moment where the sunrise just strikes you deep into your soul and you're just overwhelmed with the glory of God. This past winter, I was back in Idaho, my old stomping grounds, and I was able to go skiing up in the the central sawtooths where I grew up, backcountry skiing, and and, uh, I ended up um, essentially bootpacking back into this area that me and my buddies had kind of stocked out for ourselves, and I ended up in this open, you know, 35-degree pitch of untouched, almost hip-deep, Idaho powder. For a guy like me, this was glory. <laughs> I was all alone, and I started tracking up this hill, and then I'd boot pack in, and there was one moment where I stopped at the top of the mountain right before I was going to make my run, and, and I was flooded not only with the beauty of the central sawtooths and the brilliance of the sunshine and this perfectly white field, this playground that God had given to me, but, but almost three decades of memories I almost died in those mountains twice with my buddies, backcountry skiing. Days of drunken revelry. Days of such sheer teenage delight, skipping school to go up and hit big powder days up at Soldier Mountain. It was like I was flooded with all these years of memories and and the faithfulness of God and the stillness of the snow and the quiet and the brilliance of the sunlight. There is a place of solitude and silence. I don't want to speak into this moment. I don't want to take from this moment. I just want to be in it. And God grants us those moments if we'll get quiet enough often in the course of our days and our weeks and our months and our years, and we can go back to those moments and, and immediately, in my mind's eye, in my heart's experience, I'm there on that hillside in the stillness with my good Father who's given me such a good gift, who's been faithful to keep me alive, that I might have more moments like this with Him until the day I see Him. Finally, a third place, and this is the primary place where we see the Bible talking about silence. It's in places of pain. In places of pain. We are all going to, along with our seasons of peace and blessing, go through seasons of severe pain and suffering. And so in general seasons of suffering, one of the primary tools and weapons we use to war against Satan's lies is the practice of silence and solitude. Most of us When we enter into seasons of pain and suffering, scream. Our souls, maybe not so much with our words, but our deep inner being begins to rage and manipulate and cry out and have very long conversations with God about how God should be changing our situation. But often in general suffering, God is calling us to seasons of silence and solitude to listen to what he's trying to teach us. Now, the book of Lamentations was written right after the book of Habakkuk by a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah got the bad end of the deal when it comes to serving God. He he got beat up. His people were taken into Babylon. He was the prophet that was appointed to to basically go tell people it's not going to get any better. It's going to only get worse. Lamentations was written after the desolation of Jerusalem. The city and the community and the culture is utterly destroyed, and Jeremiah has reached his wit's end in chapter 3 of Lamentations, where he essentially begins to say, look, God's just used me as a punching bag. God has just beat me silly, and I'm so upset about it, I don't know what to do. Eugene Peterson translates chapter 3 in a very unique way, and I want to read a portion of it to you, because I think it's helpful in leading us in our general seasons of suffering to exercise this practice of silence and solitude. Here's how Peterson translates Jeremiah chapter 3, a section of it. The prophet says in his suffering, I gave up on life altogether. I'd forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember, and remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over, he's all I've got left. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. Now listen carefully here. It's a good thing to quietly hope. Quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Just wait for hope to appear. I think for some in this room, you've been so frantic, so loudly communicating with God about how your situation needs to change. And he's saying to you this morning, it's time for you to get still, enter into the silence, stop asking questions, and be with me present in this moment. On this places of pain and entering into the practice of silence and solitude, we have general suffering. But what I found surprising as I studied this in the Bible is that many of the verses that are associated with silence in the Bible are also associated with judgment and discipline. Let me give you just a couple examples of this isaiah says to a people who are about to be judged listen to me in silence O coastlands let the peoples renew their strength let them approach then let them speak let us together draw near for judgment in revelation chapter 8 verse 1 we read the lamb opened the seventh seal in the book of revelation when the seals are opened it's bad news and what happened after that seventh seal was opened? Revelation chapter eight, verse one, the lamb opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We see that silence is practiced when a people come under judgment, when a people are being disciplined, when a people finally say, okay, I'm not gonna speak any more excuses. I'm not gonna justify my wrong." I'm not going to speak to the Lord and tell him how he needs to change my circumstances. Instead, when discipline comes, when pain comes, I'm going to choose to enter the silence, to speak nothing, to listen intently, to still my heart before him. Now, one final meditation, and this came to me actually this past week, God and his sovereignty. Once a year, I get away for about three days of silence and solitude. I do a a word fast for 72 hours, and that was this week. And while there, I was meditating on this concept of silence and judgment and discipline, and I came to realize that silence acquaints us with our death. Listen to these passages. Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. Psalm 115 the dead cannot sing praises to the Lord for they have gone into the silence of the grave. When we get still enough, silent enough, it's as if we lay down with Jesus between Good Friday and resurrection, between the cross and Easter. His body lay in a tomb, silent, absolutely still, absolutely silent removed from any sort of human contact or community. And there's something very deep that occurs in the soul when we realize that one day we will become still and silent. We will be put in such solitude, buried in our coffins, in our graves, and it is there where we will come close to Jesus in his tomb. And it is there where it's not misery and hopelessness that's birthed in that silence, but hopefulness. Because out of that silence, Jesus erupted to the praises of angels, resurrected to the shock of his people. And so too, because Jesus is alive, when we enter into the silence of our own deaths from which none of us will escape, we enter into that peace that we too will resurrect because Jesus has resurrected. Let's move on. What is the purpose of silence I think that there has to be a point to what we're doing for any of us to actually engage in this practice in a rhythmic way. I've given to you here four or five various purposes. There's many more than this, but I want to just highlight these. I'm going to quote to you from a number of authors that have influenced me over the years on this. Number one, one of the purposes of practicing silence and solitude is to learn to be present with ourselves and with him in his reality. Uh, Adele Calhoun, she's a spiritual writer, she says this, we can get so busy doing urgent things and so preoccupied with what comes next that we don't experience now. Afraid of being late, we rush from the past to the future. The present moment becomes a crack between what we did and what we have yet to do and it's virtually lost to us. These times we have together are sacred. I realize in the Western church, we're not successful by any standard of measurement that's applied to us. We're not growing fast. We're not baptizing hundreds of thousands. We're upside down in our budget in the building in the sense that we're overwhelmed with it. It's not like God's just gonna drop a million dollars on us tomorrow like some of the, the really successful churches have happened to them. And because of that, we can become so rushed and hurried. In your personal lives, you can become so rushed and hurried. You've got to meet the standard. You've got to get to where you're going. I think so many of us as Christians, we're always living of what will be. Okay, when I get there, then this will happen. When I get there, then that will happen. For some of us, we're so living out of our past. That happened. I did that. That happened to me. And we miss this moment right here. This moment. This present moment. This is sacred. This is a moment where the kingdom is coming on earth. This is a moment where the veil between heaven and earth thins. And silence brings us to a place of stillness. And solitude brings us to a place of awareness. Where our past is put in the past. And our future is not yet upon us. And we revel in. We live in. We experience this present moment without rushing to the next moment. Without Fretting over the last moment, but we embrace this moment as a gift. Silence brings that about in our hearts and in our awareness. Number two, second purpose of silence it teaches us to slow down and still our souls before God. John Ortberg writes Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Now, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, we speak. And this is why we have such a rush of words, a torrential downpour of conversation constantly coming from our hearts because of the disordered hurry, trying to justify our past, trying to manipulate the future, missing the present moment, and silence causes us to become still, to slow down, to not have to regret the past, to not have to speak into the future, to be in this present space, and our hearts become calm, our hearts become peaceful, and out of the abundance of that heart, we can begin to speak the words of Jesus after having heard the words of Jesus deep down into our innermost being. Number three, a third purpose of practicing silence and solitude is to learn to self Examine. The mantra of our culture is you've got to believe in yourself. The problem with that is none of us actually know ourselves. We are disintegrated as selves because of sin. And any psychoanalysis in this room would agree with me on that. I just have a different theological proposal to bring healing to that. We don't need to find more of ourselves, we need to find Jesus as he's made us ourselves. And to do that, we become silent. In silence, we are able to self-examine. We're able to see the thoughts as they come through, the, the, the train, runaway train that constantly is driving us. Many of us may not even be aware of thoughts that determine our behavior, thoughts that create a lens through which we see the world. Because of sin, all of us has a framework through which we see the world. Some of us operate out of a shame framework. So you have a constant, you may not be aware of this, but you have a constant litany of voices saying to you, you're not worthy. And you come into a context like this, and immediately the voices, whether you believe this or not, are saying to you, you're second best. They all love each other. You don't fit in with this crowd. You're not part of them. Some have a guilt complex through which we see the world. You've done wrong. You can't actually be close to people. God could never love you. You'll never succeed because you failed here and here and here. Some of us see the world through fear. They're dangerous. Watch out for them. Don't trust them. Don't be vulnerable. Of course, God's going to hurt you. God doesn't like you. God is angry with you. When we get silent, and the reason we run from silence so often is because these voices rise to the surface. We can't bury them with Facebook and with TV watching and with movies and with libations. We can't ignore them when things get so still and so quiet. And so self-examination comes in those moments of silence where we're able to see, wow, I am seeing the world through this way. I am listening to that voice of shame rather than listening to the voice of Jesus who says, you're so valuable that I died for you. You're so worthy. I so honor you that i've laid down my life for you and i've given to you my entire kingdom when we fall silent we're able to bring the voice that says you're guilty you did wrong you failed you'll never be accepted to actually hear the voice of jesus knowing us in our guilty self saying but i took that punishment for you you're free you're pure you're holy when we get still, we're able to take those voices of fear and recognize them. The one that says, they're going to hurt me. I can't trust. I can't be vulnerable. And then we're able to come to Jesus in that fear for self. And we see Jesus saying, I have taken and become vulnerable for you in the ultimate way so you can be safe. I've given everything, stripped bare and naked and shamed and taken upon myself your guilt so that you don't have to be afraid of what will come in your life, so that you don't have to be afraid of me. And it's in stillness where we get to know ourselves, our shame selves, our guilt selves, our fear selves in Jesus. And that's where healing comes. It's in silence where we're able to self-examine those various lies see them in the light of the cross, see them in the light of God's love and hear his whispering words through the scriptures, through sermons like this, through his spirit that begins to bring healing and breaks down those visual filters through which we see the world and we truly become us in silence as we self-examine. Number four, a few more here, a couple more. Silence and the practice of silence, one of its purposes is so that we can learn to surrender our control to Him. If you read one book on the spiritual disciplines, it would be this one that I recommend Richard Foster, The Celebration of Disciplines. It's a classic. Write it down in your notes, pick it up. It's a very easy read, well written. Richard Foster, The, pra- or the Celebration of Disciplines. Excellent, excellent work. And in this, chapter on silence, he has this profound quote. He has tons of profound quotes, but this one, Richard Foster says about silence and surrender. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we're silent, who's going to take control God will take control, but we will never let him take control unless we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. The tongue is our most powerful tool of manipulation. A frantic stream of words flows from us because we are in a constant process of adjusting our public image. <laughs> oh, Silence is intimately related to trust. Silence puts us in a place where we don't say anything to justify our past. We don't say anything to present and posture ourselves before the world. Silence puts us in a place where we don't control the thoughts of others by the words that we speak. Silence puts us in a place where we don't manipulate others to gain position that we long for. Silence is intimately related to trust, and I will tell you, that this is the most profound work that God has done in me over the last three years since I've begun in earnest practicing silence and solitude. I'm a speaker and I'm a thinker. I'm a debater and a lawyer by character and by gifting. I love words and ways with words and arguments with words and winning with words. And silence puts us in a place where we have to step back and say, God actually speaks, and I have to trust him to speak in this situation. God actually can direct this heart, and I I tell you, I think one of the greatest weaknesses that I've discerned in my own pastoral ministry and in the pastoring of the Western church is we as pastors have either by a false sense of need or by a cultural expectation. We as pastors have been put in a place where we speak words to bring healing, when in actuality, good pastoring and good healthy Christians speak less words to let the Lord speak healing. It's, it's trust, deep trust, profound trust. Number five, and we'll move on. We practice the discipline of silence so that we can learn to speak. This seems counterintuitive. Again, I take this from Foster's chapter on on silence and solitude. He's brilliant in this way. Let me address something first and foremost. Um, There are those, and you know who you are, even as I say this, whose silence is actually a security blanket. What I mean by that is, out of insecurity or out of fear, or the shame lens is so focused in your personal life, or the fear lens is so focused, or the guilt lens is so focused, that silence for you is a security blanket. Silence for you comes easy because that's a safe place where if you don't speak words, no one will actually know you and nobody can hurt you. For you, I would exhort you, you need to practice the discipline of community. You need to practice the discipline of communication. That's what's gonna be most difficult for you. That's rare in American society because we're a bunch of jabber boxes in general. <laughs> we like to talk, but we don't know how to talk the talk of the Lord. And so silence teaches us to speak the Lord's words as he intends. Silence in the midst of community, devoid of solitude, silence in the midst of community trains us to actually listen. I cannot exhort you with enough unction to learn to listen. We have ready-made answers in this culture for everything and we never actually hear what the issue is with our own hearts and with others around us. Silence, having been practiced in solitude is carried into a community And in that community, we learn to actually hear what is being said around us. We hear it through the ears of the Holy Spirit. Silence reminds us and trains us that this little tongue is like a little, James says, rudder on a massive ship. It moves big things easily. Silence in the midst of community, not speaking in the midst of community, reminds us that this thing can light An inferno, a a conflagration, a, a massive fire that burns and hurts people. And silence can also train us and remind us that this can be waters of blessing. But unless we're still and quiet and silent enough in the midst of hearing souls around us, we'll never know the power that's been granted in this thing. Learning to speak requires first a heart that has learned to be silent. Now, let's get practical here. Of course, this is a 50,000-foot overview of an ancient practice, but let me give to you some of the process of silence, and I'm going to just share with you my own personal process. I personally, just a bit of back history on this and where I believe Taproot Church is going to be taken by the Holy Spirit, I had never practiced the disciplines except as a Pharisee uh, before. Uh, a number of years ago, I fasted, but I fasted as a Pharisee. Lord, I fast, and these folks don 't fast i 'm extra holy i didn 't understand. I, I, uh, I never had even considered the concept of shutting my mouth i 'm a preacher i 'm a pastor. <laughs> I had never considered the, the option of of being alone, and it wasn 't until God, in his grace, really began to reveal who I am. None of you would ever guess this about me, but my introversion is of a severity that you can 't imagine. That doesn't mean that I don't speak extrovertedly, that's my calling. But part of Jacob's limp that has been given to me, the breaking of my hip where I have to depend upon God, is it utterly destroys me. And so I have to once a year literally leave and this past three days in the cabin I just sat there with a a cup of coffee in one hand and a jug of water and my Bible in my lap and the loons and quiet. (laughs) Because there's where, where life is. This didn't come about until there was such a severe breaking in my life, such a a God graciously being a good physician who, uh, without anesthesia, began to do some deep surgery in my soul. And out of that came a sabbatical in 2013, some spiritual coaching and mentoring from very, very wise men, twice my age, uh, who led me into these practices of the disciplines, and it was as if God was saving my Christianity through that. I had reached such an end of myself that God had finally brought me to a place where not only could I not speak, I just couldn't talk. I just I couldn't pray anymore. I was like, why pray? Why talk? Why lead? Why fast? Why do any of that? And it was through that time of rest and, and reprieval and restoration that God really ingrained in me these practices of, of silence and solitude. And so For silence and solitude to become part of our lives, in practice, the process begins with pain. God is moving you through pain towards this practice and this discipline, and it will transform your souls and your hearts. For silence and solitude to be practiced, we all will recognize this as clear. There's no arguing this. You have to plan for it. You have to plan for it, or we will never get still. We will not get quiet. We have too much to do. We have to post an update on Facebook. We have to get to work. We've got to check the blog. We've got to watch the TV show. Got to get to dinner with that couple. Got to, got to. That is the cultural aquarium we swim in. That is the sinful heart that says, I've got to control and manipulate and be entertained and avoid what's going on deep inside of me. It's all of those things. And so for silence and solitude to actually begin to be practiced, we've got to plan it. And one of the best times for silence and solitude, this is even for you mamas, I know you're up all night, but even even just waking up with five minutes to lay there in the silence and solitude of the early morning before the tyrants wake up and wreck everything that's a good time. Evenings before bed is a good time, and and commutes is an excellent time. We constantly have earbuds in. We constantly have talk radio on. We constantly have an influx of sound. For those of you that have a 15, 20, 30, some of you have hour-long commutes, those are times where you can breathe in through the nose, turn off everything, look at your surroundings, Recognize that you are surrounded by millions of souls on that road in that moment and just be still in that present place and listen to the Lord. I would also encourage, if possible, that you find a place where you can purposefully get away, whether it's for a couple hours, whether it's for a day. Some of you may find that silence and solitude become such a part of your life that you literally need to get away for 24, 48 hours. Uh, For those of you that are introverted like myself, you'll need to be disciplined in not letting this uh, become something that is escape. This is something that was actually revealed to me on this recent 72-hour silent fast. I was sitting there, and, and clear as day, the Holy Spirit asked, Have you escaped? What are you running from? And then I just had to sit there and say, no, I'm not running from any, no, you just have to, okay, why are you asking me that, Lord? Write it down in the journal, work through it quietly. Purposeful getaways, but you must plan it. And as we say at Taproot Church, our calendars are like bucking broncos. You either break them and the calendar is used like a horse that you ride and it serves you. But if you can't break that bucking bronco, you shoot it and you get a new one. You've got to put into your calendars the bucking bronco that is the busy schedules of all of us, plans for silence and solitude, plans for getting still. Papa's in the room, I want you to bless your wives by saying, babe, I want you to get out for an hour today. Go find a quiet place. Wherever that may be, walk, go down to the sound. And you don't have to, me, I prefer to sit and be still. Some of you may just be going on a walk through the neighborhood and just letting the clouds float through your space as you're there with Jesus. But dad, you've gotta find a way once in a while to get your wives away from the tyrants and let them be released unto Jesus. Ladies, find ways for when he gets home uh, or, or mama, if you're the one that's out at work, whatever, when you get home, you set the past aside and you set the future aside and in that present moment you find stillness. You've gotta plan for this, you guys. That's what I'm saying. I think we all understand that. Some basic practices, there are hundreds of them. These are three of the main practices that I've used over the last four or five years since I was introduced to these disciplines. The first is the practice of Lectio Divinia. This is an ancient practice rooted in first and second century monasticism and ancient fathers. Lectio Divinia is the reading of God's word not for information but contemplation and conversation. This doesn't mean that we're coming to the word, to the Bible with a theological lens saying, what can I learn from this? We're actually opening up this book which we believe to be God-breathed, God's words. We're waiting for God to breathe in air into his lungs, and then as he breathes out, as we read this word, he's communicating with us. What this means is, and if there's a theological neat nick church in the South Puget Sound region, it's Taproot Church, so nobody send me emails and nobody freak out over this, but what this means is we're letting the words rise up to us, even if they're out of context, even if it's just God speaking to us, it's a means of that moment of communication. Now, you reframe those words later in the overall context. You make sure they're theologically aligned. You make sure that there's objective reality to what's being spoken. But Lectio divina is the process of taking a passage, reading it very slowly and carefully, maybe four or five verses, and you're letting the words come into your heart. You're reading them slowly and pondering. Maybe a word will leap off the page like the word father or the word love. And you let that word go deep down into your heart as you read it, as you contemplate it, as you mull it over in your mind. You respond to the Father silently. Father, you're my Father. Father, I am embraced by you. All, all these moments of just quiet. This is the practice of Lectio Divinia. A second practice that I found very helpful, some of you may find this odd, is something that I call prayer breathing or scripture breathing, practiced by the church for hundreds of years, but particularly in our day and age, um, modern psychology and Modern psychotherapy are finding these practices very beneficial. In fact, Stanford and, and uh, Berkeley have major studies, major departments based on meditation, whether it's Eastern or Biblical meditation, as a means of therapy for psychotherapies. Beyond that, though, prayer breathing in the way that I practice it is taking uh, a passage. And literally breathing it in. So just finding stillness. When I first started doing this, my counselor said, you just need to lay down, Danny. You've got so much energy in you. Just lay down and learn to just be still. So I would have to lay down. This is when we were still officing over on 152nd. I'd put up my little screen and I'd lay down underneath my desk on a blanket, put in my earplugs and my gun muffs so it would be completely silent. And then you just breathe in. The Lord is my shepherd. And then you breathe out. I shall not want. And about eight million thoughts rush in, you need to be doing this. If somebody opens up that screen and sees you laying on the floor, you're gonna be fired. What are you doing? I mean, <laughs> just, just all of this, right? And I used to have to tell Mike and the, and the crew down there at the office, look guys, if you, if you just leave me alone, I'm doing my science. If you glance through there and you see me laying on the floor, I'm not asleep, I promise you. Breathe in a scripture. Breathe it in and imagine this. Imagine as you're breathing this in, you're breathing in the spirit who is the shepherd deep, deep into your soul. And you're letting all the other thoughts just go. You're just meditating on and breathing in, the Lord is my shepherd. And then you're breathing out, I shall not want. And with that goes the anxiety you're breathing out, the the wants of the day that need to be met, the manipulation that needs to happen to make sure everything in the future is taken control of. I shall not want for forgiveness. It's just, it's breathing it out. Practice that. Start with five minutes of prayer breathing. Start with five minutes of one scripture. I'm not expecting any of you to go get a cabin and spend three days in total solitude. You would freak out probably. You build up to it like a marathon. It becomes a practice of discipline that you build layers of, of growth in. Centering prayer, this one is somewhat controversial. I actually was very reticent to introduce this to you guys. Thomas Keating and the group that works in centering prayer, they're they're somewhat controversial. They have swung in their latter years, far left of where a church like Taproot would be theologically. But centering prayer has become a very important practice in my personal life on a somewhat regular basis. Centering prayer takes one word from a passage. So let's take the word shepherd and you simply silence your heart before God and shepherd that word, as Thomas Keating said, becomes a symbol of your consent to God's divine presence and action within you. So as you sit and pray, let's say you sit for 10 minutes, you just repeat the word shepherd. You let the imagery of shepherd consume your mind. And I, I love what Keating says. Keating says, as the the runaway train of thoughts, that stream of consciousness that we all deal with, comes at you, Keating says, don't panic about that. Greet each thought with a hug and a kiss and send it on its way. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. It's weird. I get it. But I'm telling you that centering prayer for me has become life-changing. I asked one of my professors at Western Seminary just this past week. I'm in a spiritual disciplines class right now with uh, Bill Clem. I said, Bill, what's your thoughts on centering prayer? And he said, look, when it comes to the disciplines of silence and solitude, Paul had these weird things that he described as prayer language. None of us really know what Paul was talking about in the book of 1 Corinthians when he talks about prayer languages and the usage of tongues. But there are weird things within Christianity that God has actually granted us that we don't quite understand. And I know for myself personally, centering prayer just taking the word shepherd and, and over the months and years since I was introduced to this practice, now there are times where I'll sit for in upwards of an hour, an hour and 15 minutes in total silence. Just letting the word shepherd center me as a symbol of my consent to him and his present action, his present work in my soul. And I'm telling you, I'm almost 40 and I feel like I'm just now figuring out who I am in him. But it's been Wonderful. Broken, but made beautiful. Straight out of hell, to tell you the truth. But healed. It's profound. Finally, as we close and we prepare for communion this morning, with the practice of silence and solitude, it is a discipline. This means that you need to patiently persist in this. In our high-speed internet, fast food culture, we have been trained and we anticipate that we're gonna do our our 15 minutes of silence tomorrow before the Lord and experience an angelic host opening up over our heads and and have this utter calm that comes over us. That's never the case. It is a discipline, and it is actually first learning to be comfortable with the panicked, anxious self that we are, not trying to control that. If you can be still as a panicked Anxious self before God, you're one step closer to actually finding stillness and solitude in your heart. Again, I don't mean to share too much from my own life, but it's a real reference point for me right now. This past week, I committed uh, an hour and 15 minutes to silence, and it was based out of Psalm 37, the word commit. And I don't want to paint this pretty picture. I sat there for an hour, and it was warfare for me to sit silently. I would breathe the word commit. Commit all your works to the Lord and he will establish your plans. All these things, commit. And it was like millions of thoughts exploded and rather than experiencing peace in my chest, I found anger like, why can't you just get still, Danny? Why can't you, man, you're in this cabin, it's quiet. Look at the loons, so beautiful. I hate those stupid loons. I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. It was total nuts. And I sat there and I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it. At an hour and seven minutes, I usually set a timer And at an hour and seven minutes, I just tapped out. I was like, God, I've got to do something. And I had to pray out loud. Please, God, I don't understand what's happening. Why can't I get still? And in that moment, he said, you see, you need grace here too. You need grace because you can't be still. And that's why it's not about your stillness that brings me close to you. It's about my grace. And I had to be comfortable not being able to be still. John Coe, he's a spiritual director for uh, spiritual growth at Talbot seminary, he has an excellent workshop that he does on silence and solitude in the various disciplines. He says in his workshop, always be gentle and forgiving of yourself. Be gentle with yourself. When we begin to practice silence and solitude as good American producers, we find ourselves saying, I've got to get silent. I've got to get silent. I've got to do this right. Am I doing this right? How do I do this? And John says, just be gentle with yourself. You don't have to do anything. John says be patient with yourself. Allow yourself to, to feel the recklessness of your mind. Allow yourself to, to, to learn to, to greet each panicked thought with a kiss and a hug and let it go on its way. And then forgive yourselves. Silence and solitude is a means of engaging in that practice of walking in the present forgiveness of God that it's not about what you do or how well you do or how quiet your soul gets. It's about just being with him in that place. And here's one discipline that I've gained on my own, just learning this over the years. Always end with thanksgiving. The minute that I couldn't make it my hour and 15 minutes this past week of just total silence centering on one word, I ended that with, Lord, I thank you for revealing to me the lack of stillness in my heart in this place. Thank you for that. Some of you may spend 10 minutes tomorrow sitting there saying, that Pastor Danny, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. I can't stand this. I don't even know what this is doing. This isn't doing anything for me. The kids are going to wake up pretty soon. I'm going to be panicked about the kids. and I've got to get to the job right now. And then the alarm goes off, and you've been there for 10 minutes doing that, and then just say, thank you, Father, for this time with you. Just do it by faith. <laughs> just thank you, Father, for this time with you. And then patiently and persistently plan your next time and do it again. Plan your next time Breathe in some scriptures, breathe out the anxieties, and let God guide you. Will, if you guys would go ahead and come on up, we're going to do something this morning that I think will be helpful for us. I want to lead you guys, corporately, and I've never done this, in a five-minute Lectio Divina of Psalm 23, just the first four or five verses. And so, Emil, if you'd grab the lights, um. I want everybody to be involved. I'd ask that this morning, if you can, if you don't mind, if you would leave, your, leave the little short ones um, in, in Taproot Kids, at least for this portion. We're going to close with two songs, but at least for this portion of our time together. And for you mamas that have got little babes in here, don't feel uncomfortable. As we have this time of silence and practice of Lectio Divina, just let the babies and the little baby gurgly noises and everything be part of God's presence with us. And, and don't feel like you need to be anywhere else but, but in here. And so what we're gonna do is we're going to uh, have a moment of practicing silence. And I must confess to you, as a preacher, uh, this is a great discipline for me. I'm used to filling a space like this with words. To fill a space like this with silence is, uh, it's scary. And don't, don't feel... Uh, like you need to be extra spiritual in this moment. If you're just sitting there in your quiet time here with Jesus saying, this is, this is really weird. Good, thank God for that. Thank God for that. It's an introduction to this practice. And w- the reason I call us to do it together this morning is I'm desperate for the church in the United States and I'm desperate for Taproot to lead the way in this to be what I heard this past week, to become a non-anxious presence in the midst of a panicked culture. This church is to become a non-anxious presence in the midst of a panicked culture. And so we're a family. All of us have the gospel as our centerpiece. All of us have as an equalizer that none of us are any more spiritual or less spiritual None of us are any less or more weirded out by any of these practices than anybody else. We're in this together, and so to practice silence and Lectio Divina together, I think, is helpful. And I think in the coming months and years, we'll do workshops on these disciplines and and labor at greater practicing of these things. I'd love to see these things practiced in the midst of home gatherings as well, and maybe we'll do some training for our home gathering leaders in leading in silence and solitude. If you would, if you have Bibles or phone applications, you can open up to Psalm 23 this morning. We're only going to do five minutes or so of this. I'll lead you. Trust in the Holy Spirit to meet with you. If you'd all close your eyes and breathe in deeply through your noses. And let just the thoughts of weirdness or anxiety or what's this person next to me thinking, just as you exhale, uh, let those thoughts go. Breathe in through your nose again, just deeply down into your belly, releasing all of the anxiety. Father, I pray that in this brief moment of silence as a church with the cooing of the babies and the breathing of the souls your spirit would come and meet with us as we look to you as our shepherd you can just slowly open your eyes and follow with me along in the text of Psalm 23. We'll read slowly together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now as you're breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, just silencing your heart, read that passage again just slowly to yourself and if a word leaps off the page... If a sentence leaps off the page, let it sink in deep and breathe it into your heart. You don't have to pray out loud, just quietly. recenter on that word or on that sentence breathe it in through your nose out through your mouth The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Father, into the silence, we bring our songs of thanksgiving and remembrance. I ask you that with my family, we would learn to practice your presence. Make us a non-anxious presence in a panicked culture. Start, Lord, with these very brief and small moments of silence and solitude with you. Solitude in the midst of a community. Letting your words breathe life into us. You are our shepherd. We have nothing to want of. You make us to lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore uh, our souls. You make us truly us as we find ourselves Guilt ridden and shamed and fearful, loved by you, confident because of you, innocent because of you, worthy and honorable and clean because of you. And you lead us for your name's sake. Lord, I pray that these brief moments would introduce to all of my brothers and sisters the practice of your presence in silence and solitude in their homes, in their cars. In their workplaces. Lord, we pray that the very breath we breathe would become prayer without words, just surrender and stillness. I pray, Father, that these practices would begin the therapy for those that are struggling with depression and working through the broken chemicals of their body with bipolarism, manic depression, schizophrenia, that the mental things that you've brought me through, Lord, and these practices have literally rewired the chemicals in my brain healing me from years of drug abuse and demonic activity. And so God, do the work in our church. We offer to you our silence as a gift. We offer to you our silence as a response. We offer to you our silence as a cry to, to hear from you. Lead this church, Lord Jesus. You are the good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we all stand? We're gonna fill the space with song and take communion together. Pastorally this morning, as we prepare for communion, I would exhort us to... (laughs) When I first returned from sabbatical, I tried to explain to my friends that on sabbatical, I had been given a peace and a perspective on the world and on God and that it was like a football. And I felt like coming back into the church and back into leadership, it was like I was Marshawn Lynch, and I had to hold on to that football of peace and just keep moving forward. I think the practice of silence and solitude is like that. So as we fill this space with our voices, as we fill this space with um, guitars and drum beats and, and the partaking of the elements, my pastoral exhortation to us this morning is whatever word, whatever Sentence, whatever impression the Spirit granted you in our brief moment of silence, hold on to that like a little football. Just don't let anything rip that away from you. And carry that to the foot of the cross where you remember, I have this stillness and this silence because of my shepherd and what he's done for me. Let me pray for us. And we're gonna sing. There'll be communion up here, up front for everybody. And we'll partake together and get about our day. Lord Jesus. As we now fill this space with a peacefulness of heart, but an abundance of heart that sings songs to you of remembrance and songs of thanksgiving, Spirit, may you engage with us in such ways that we are healed and transformed. And so we bless your name this day. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for Habakkuk, who in his day prophesied over his people that the Lord is in his temple. He's sovereign. Let all the earth be silent with stillness and silence of heart, we speak forth your words and we sing forth your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.